You know, one of the greatest joys of being a Christian is the opportunity that God gives us. He invites us to be a part of his work of changing lives here in this world with the hope of Jesus Christ. And uh, that's, a, that's a goal, that's a mission that all of us have been given as followers of Jesus. He, he calls us to be people who live to make an impact and today, as we continue on in the Apostle Paul's letter in the book of Colossians, we're coming to the final section of Paul's exhortations to the church in Colossians. And today, Paul is going to share with his friends there in Colossae this goal of living a life of impact, living a life where we go out into the world and we make a difference in the lives of everyday people who need to know that there's a God who loves them, that there's hope available for them, that amazing grace is found in Jesus Christ. We, we need to live out our faith so that others can see the light and hope of Jesus shining through us and then hear the good news of the message and hopefully come to experience the same kinds of transformations that we've experienced in our lives as a result of Jesus Christ. So we're going to look at that this morning, Paul's instructions for us, how we can be people of impact for the sake of the gospel of Jesus Christ. Now, as I mentioned, uh, today and next week are the final two messages in our series in the book of Colossians. Uh, today is Paul's last words of instructions to the church. Next week, he has a great, uh, a great section where he talks about his partners in ministry. Uh, Pastor Stephen's going to be preaching for us next week on that final message. Uh, I'm actually going to be leaving the day after Thanksgiving this week to go over to Hawaii to uh, teach for Youth with a Mission, training missionaries over in Hawaii. Not a bad gig if you can get it, right? So uh, I'm excited for that. So I want to ask you to be in prayer for me uh, this next week. I'll be, uh, I'll be there uh, following the week of Thanksgiving, but uh, certainly appreciate your prayers. And then Pastor Stephen's going to wrap up our series in Colossians for us next week, and you're not going to want to miss that. It's going to be a really great time as we bring the series to an end. And I hope you've been blessed through this series. I, I know I have. God has certainly uh, taught me much as we've looked at Paul's powerful words. I want to invite you, let's have a word of prayer together and commit our time to the Lord and ask him to bless our instruction from his word this morning. Heavenly Father, we're so grateful to be here today. Thank you for the opportunity to worship you. Thank you for the opportunity you give us to be people whose lives make an impact with the hope and good news of Jesus Christ. Lord, I, I just pray that uh, you would open our eyes this morning to some of the ways that we can be about your business of going into the world and sharing the good news of Jesus. We, we want to see more lives changed. We want to see more stories changed. We want to see transformation take place, uh, the transformation that comes when people discover that there is a God who loves them, a faithful God, a God of grace, a God of hope. And uh, may we be faithful, Lord, in helping to point people to you so that they can know the joy that we ourselves have experienced through a relationship with you. So we just pray that you would bless our time now as we look to your word and open the eyes of our hearts. Holy Spirit, we pray that you would illuminate these truths for us and impress them deep into our souls so that we might be people of impact. We pray this in Jesus' name, amen. Well, in the last few weeks, we have been looking at really the foundation to living a life of impact. Uh, we, three weeks ago, we saw that 
we have been given a new identity, a new nature in Jesus Christ. Two weeks ago, then we talked about the reality because of our new identity in Jesus Christ. We need to strip ourselves of all of our old clothes, all of our old attitudes, all of our old ways of living, and we need to reclothe ourselves. We need to put on the new clothes, the clothes of Christ, dressing up in the likeness of Jesus. And then last week, we talked about what does that look like to live dressed up in Christ. And we saw last week how really that, that brings transformation to all of our relationships. It, 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 putting Christ at the center really makes a massive impact in terms of uh, reaching our world with the hope of Jesus. And so we take off our old clothes, we put on our new clothes, we put Christ at the center of all, and then we go out and we live for him. And now today, Paul is going to give us some really crucial instructions about how we can be people who live a life of impact. We're in Colossians chapter 4, verses 2 through 6. I want to read our passage for us this morning, and then I want to come back and highlight for us three things that we see here about the life of impact. So Paul goes on, continue steadfastly in prayer, being watchful in it with thanksgiving. At the same time, pray also for us, that God may open to us a door for the word to declare the mystery of Christ, on account of which I am in prison, that I may make it clear which is how I ought to speak. Walk in wisdom toward outsiders, making the best use of the time. Let your speech always be gracious, seasoned with salt, so that you may know how you ought to answer each person. It's a short passage, but there are some powerful admonitions here in these verses about how we can be people who live a life of impact for Jesus Christ. The first thing that we see here in our passage this morning, Paul tells us that a life of impact prays steadfastly. Verses 2 through 4, Paul puts prayer at the very center of our lives and mission as followers of Jesus Christ. A life of impact prays steadfastly. The, the great pioneer missionary to China, Hudson Taylor, once reflecting on the Christian's life and mission, said this, you must go forward on your knees. You must go forward on your knees. Friends, what Taylor recognized is that if you want to live a life of impact for Jesus Christ, it begins with prayer. Prayer is the foundation. Prayer is the starting point. We start on our knees and we pray that God would use us to impact this world. And so here in the opening verses of our passage this morning, after he's encouraged us to clothe ourselves in Christ and live our life dressed in the likeness of Christ, Paul also reminds us here of the importance of going forward on our knees. In verse 2, he says, Continue steadfastly in prayer, being watchful in it with thanksgiving. Here Paul gives us three exhortations related to prayer. Paul calls us to pray, number one, steadfastly. We need to be praying steadfastly. And what this means is this is a life that's devoted to prayer. A life where one is praying regularly and persistently. In 1 Thessalonians 5.17, Paul called the church in Thessalonica to pray without ceasing. We read in the book of Acts 1.14 that this was the model of the early church. The very first Christians, they devoted themselves to prayer. We read there in Acts 1.14. Prayer was a foundation stone of the early church. 
Prayer has always been the bedrock of the Christian's life and mission. If you want to be a person of impact, you need to pray without ceasing. You need to pray with devotion. You need to be committed to prayer. Now understand, friends, Paul is not saying here that you need to be praying around the clock 24 hours a day, that you need to have you know, some legalistic prayer routine. No, we know that's not the case. How do we know that? Because if Paul was doing that, he would have never had time to write this letter that we've been studying, right? So what is Paul talking about when he says devote yourself to prayer? He's talking about a lifestyle. He's talking about a lifestyle of prayer. One where you are praying your way through the day. You're praying regularly. You're praying consistently about your activities, about your interactions with others, about the events coming up that day or that week. It's a regular life devoted to prayer where you bring your heart's concerns and requests before the Lord on a consistent basis, praying devotedly, praying persistently. That's what Paul's talking about here. So he says we pray steadfastly. Then he tells us you need to be praying watchfully. Now, when Paul talks about praying watchfully, what he has in mind here, it, it doesn't seem apparent in the passage, but what he's talking about is praying watchfully for the second coming of Jesus Christ. If you remember back at the beginning of chapter 3 and verse 4, Paul, after talking about the Christian's new identity in Christ, he says, you have died with Christ, your life is hidden with Christ in God, and when Christ, who is your life, appears, then you also will appear with him in glory. So Paul reminded the Colossians already in his letter that Jesus is coming back. He's going to appear once again. And so now he tells us that as we're praying steadfastly, we also need to pray watchfully, looking for the second coming of our Lord Jesus Christ. And friends, remember, Jesus himself told us to be watchful to be waiting, to be looking for his second coming. In fact, we studied this last spring in our series on the end times. We studied Matthew 24 and the signs of the times that Jesus told his disciples to be watching for. And after he shared with his disciples the signs of the times that would precede his second coming. Remember, we talked about the acronym signs, right? There would be spiritual signs, false Christ, false prophets. There would be Israel signs, things taking place in the history of Israel. Israel that God had prophesied. By the way, all of those prophecies have now come true. There would be global signs, Jesus said, wars and rumors of war. There would be natural signs, war, uh, famines, earthquakes, natural disasters. There, there would be social signs. The love of most will grow cold, Paul tells us in other places in the New Testament, that, that society would increasingly decay and get more and more wicked before the arrival of Jesus. So Jesus gives us these signs, and then after giving us these signs, in Matthew 24, verse 42, he says to his disciples, therefore stay awake, for you do not know on what day the Lord is coming. In the next chapter, Matthew 25, 13, Jesus says again, Watch therefore, for you know neither the day nor the hour. Now friends, what this means and what Paul is getting at in our passage this morning is this, because the return of Jesus is imminent. And again, what that means is he could come at any moment, any hour. Because his second coming is imminent, we need to pray and shape our prayers in light of that reality. We need to be praying with a sense of urgency. That's what Paul's talking about when he says pray watchfully. 
right? We're praying steadfastly, praying with devotion, a lifestyle prayer, and we're praying watchfully knowing that the Lord is coming back. And so our prayers need to be, have a sense of urgency to them, the, especially towards the lost people in our lives that we care for. We need to be praying diligently, persistently for them, knowing that Jesus could come back at any moment. And then thirdly, Paul tells us here in verse 2 that we need to be praying thankfully. Now here again, as we saw last week, the Christian life is one that is motivated by thanksgiving. Friends, because how can a life that's experienced God's amazing grace not give thanks? And so Paul says that we need to be praying thankfully. Thanksgiving should both motivate and permeate our prayer life. We're motivated by thanksgiving because it's an intentional exercise in being mindful of God's goodness and faithfulness to us. Right? When we reflect on our salvation, when we reflect on God's many blessings in our lives, when we reflect on the many prayers that God has answered for us, right? All of those things motivate us to give thanks because we know that we have a faithful God. And that thanksgiving then motivates us to have even greater confidence as we approach the Lord in prayer. Because we recall what he's done for us in the past, his faithfulness in the past motivates us in thanksgiving to pray about the future. This is why, for example, Joshua in Joshua chapter 4, after the nation of Israel from their, their exodus out of Egypt, their wandering in the wilderness, their entrance into the promised land. What was the first thing Joshua had the people of Israel do after they crossed the Jordan River into the promised land? He had each of the 12 tribes of Israel go into the center of the river and gather a large stone. And then each of these 12 tribes took one of these stones and they placed it and they built an altar on the side of the river in the land of Canaan. And there those stones were to serve as a memorial memorial stones for the people of Israel that whenever they saw those stones, they would recall with thanksgiving God's faithfulness, his deliverance, his promises fulfilled. Friends, I want to encourage you, we too need memorial stones. And we need to go back and revisit them on a regular basis. We need those memorial stones in our lives, those, those memories, those things we hold to, those times when God was faithful, those times when he answered prayer, those times when he delivered us. We need to set up our own memorial stone altars in our lives so that we can pray with thanksgiving. This week, Thursday, is Thanksgiving. I would encourage you, what a great day, maybe even around the dinner table with your family, to reflect on your own memorial stones. What are the memorial stones in our family's lives that we can give thanks for, that we can remember, that we can look back to and acknowledge that God has been good and God has been faithful? I want to encourage you, friends, set those up in your lives. It makes a huge impact, a big difference in our prayer life as we give thanks to the Lord. Not only should our prayers be motivated by thanksgiving, but they should also be permeated by thanksgiving acknowledging the reality of that, that God is faithful and worthy of our praise. Remember last week we talked about worship and what is worship? Worship literally means to declare the Lord's true worth. 
And we don't just do that through song. We don't just do that through the study of his word. One of the ways that we declare the Lord's true worth is by giving thanks in prayer. And so again, our prayers need to be both motivated by thanksgiving but permeated by thanksgiving, regularly praising God for his blessings in our lives. So Paul tells us here at the opening of our passage that we need to pray steadfastly and watchfully and thankfully. But now we come to an important question that isn't readily apparent here in verse 2. What should we pray for? Right? right? Paul's told us, like, pray steadfastly, pray thank, watchfully, pray thankfully, but what exactly should we be praying for if we're going to be people of impact? Well, friends, if you'll recall, Paul provided a model for us of prayer at the outset of this letter. Remember, in the second week of our sermon series in Colossians, we looked at Paul's model prayer for the church. And so what should we pray when we bring our prayers before the Lord. Well, Paul tells us here in Colossians chapter 1, 9 through 10, he says, and so from the day we heard, again, about this new church that was growing in Colossae, since the day we heard, we have not ceased to pray for you, asking that you may be filled with the knowledge of his will in all spiritual wisdom and understanding, so as to walk in a manner worthy of the Lord, fully pleasing to him, bearing fruit in every good work, and increasing in the knowledge of God. Here, Paul gives us a model of the kinds of things that we can be praying for if we want to live a life of impact. In fact, Paul tells us four things specifically. He says, as God's people, we should be praying. Again, if you want to live a life of impact, we need to pray, number one, that people would be filled with the knowledge of God's will. Now, when Paul talks about God's will here, he's not talking about his individual will for your life. He's talking about his plan of salvation. We need to be praying that the people in our lives would have a knowledge of God's will in the area of salvation, that they would understand their need for God, their need to confess their sin, their need to go to Jesus as the only one who can reconcile them back to God. That's what Paul's talking about. We need to pray that people would understand the gospel truths that bring them back into a right relationship with their creator God. And we need to pray that they would then walk worthy of the Lord, that they would come to faith, but then they would be discipled in their faith and walk faithfully with Jesus, that they would bear spiritual fruit, that not only would they walk with Jesus, but that their lives too would ultimately impact the world. Because they've been transformed by Jesus and now they want to live seeking to help others experience that transformation. And then we need to be praying that they would continue to grow in their knowledge of God. Growing deeper in their wisdom and understanding of the great truths of who God is, who his son Jesus Christ is. The role of the spirit in their lives, right? These are the kinds of things that we need to be praying for, friends. If we're going to be people who live a life of impact. Remember, as Hudson Taylor said earlier, if you want to live a life of impact, you must go forward on your knees. And so it begins with prayer, friends. A life of impact begins with prayer, and we need to be praying for the people in our lives, that they would come to know God's will, that they would walk worthy of the Lord, that they would bear spiritual fruit, that they would grow in their knowledge of God. But as we move forward in our passage this morning, in verses 3 through 4, 
We also find that Paul gives us further clarity as to the content of our prayers. Look again at verses 3 and 4 if you have your Bibles open. Paul says, at the same time, pray also for us that God may open to us a door for the word to declare the mystery of Christ. Here in verses 3 through 4, Paul shows us that not only should we be praying for the people in our lives, but we should be praying for open doors to reach the people in our lives. Paul asked the church of Colossae, pray for me. Pray that opportunities would open themselves so that I can share the hope of Jesus with the people in my life. It's very interesting, this past year, we've seen on the news almost on a nightly basis these horrific videos of crimes taking place across our country. And we see this growing, you know, all the growing crimes and lawlessness. And some of the most disturbing videos that you see in recent days are the ones where criminals commit these atrocious acts and, and literally in broad daylight with crowds of people standing around and nobody steps in to help. I, I, I don't know, but I, I get troubled watching these videos. And one of the questions you ask is like, why in the world would somebody allow somebody to be beaten on the streets, for example, and a crowd of bystanders is just standing there and dozens of people walk right on by? Why does that happen? It was really interesting. Back in 1964, two psychologists in New York studied this reality. Why is it that so many people witness crimes and then they don't step in to help? Their study was motivated by a murder in New York City in 1970 where a young lady was murdered out in the street and over 30 people heard her crying and pleading for help and yet nobody stepped in to lend assistance. Well, these two psychologists researched this phenomenon and they coined a term called the bystander effect. And what their research discovered was that the more people that are there as a witness to a crime or an emergency, the less motivated people are to help. Why? Because the responsibility to step in is diffused among the crowd and everybody else waits expecting somebody else to go and do something about it. They call it the bystander effect. You know, sadly, this doesn't just happen in the whole realms of crimes and emergencies. Sadly, far too many Christians practice the bystander effect every day when it comes to the lost people in our lives. Every single one of us knows lost people who need Jesus, and yet we think somebody else will reach them. It's not my responsibility. Somebody else can step in and help. But friends, understand, that's not Paul's approach. No, what does Paul show us? Paul shows us that we should be praying that God would give us opportunities to reach the lost people in our lives. Paul asks his friends in the church in Colossae, verse 3, pray also for us that God may open to us a door. Paul wanted to reach these people and he asked them to pray that God would help open doors for that. Friends, remember, Paul was in prison as he wrote this letter. Paul wrote Colossians from a jail cell in Rome. And understand, Paul didn't ask that the prison doors would open, but that opportunities for the gospel would. That was his heart's motivation. What an example for us. What a model of faithfulness. 
You see, because Paul trusted God's sovereignty and because he was so committed to the mission of the gospel, Paul believed that even in his prison, God could accomplish his purposes. And so there in prison, he prayed that God would open a door. And friends, just consider the ways in which Paul's prayers were answered. In another letter that Paul wrote to the church in Philippi, Paul tells us this in the, in the letter of the Philippians. He says, I want you to know, brothers, that what has happened to me, being here in prison in Rome, what has happened to me? Did God answer the prayers that I asked you to pray to open doors for the gospel? Paul says, what has happened to me has really served to advance the gospel so that it has become known throughout the whole imperial guard and all the rest that my imprisonment is for Christ. And most of the brothers, having become confident in the Lord by my imprisonment, are much more bold to speak the word without fear. Paul says that God was using his imprisonment for the sake of the gospel. At the end of the book of Philippians, we also discover, Paul says, greet every saint in Christ Jesus. The brothers who are with me here in prison greet you. All the saints greet you, especially those of Caesar's household. Friends, you know what that means? What that means is when Paul was in prison, when Paul was praying for opportunities for the doors to be opened to share the gospel, we discover that the imperial guards were coming to know Jesus and even members of Caesar's own household were coming to know Jesus because Paul was there in prison in Rome, faithfully looking for opportunities to share the good news of Jesus Christ. And not only were people coming to faith personally through Paul's ministry, but just consider what God did through Paul. During that time in prison, he wrote the great New Testament books of Ephesians and Philippians and Colossians and Philemon. And how many people over the last 2,000 years have come to faith in Jesus because of those books? How many people's lives have been strengthened and encouraged because of the truths in these books? See, it's no wonder Paul would say in Romans 8, 28, and we know that for those who love God, all things work together for good for those who are called according to his purpose. God has a plan and purpose, friends, even in our trials, even in our imprisonment. And so like Paul, we need to view our trials through the lenses of God's sovereignty and we need to embrace them in faith, praying and trusting that the Lord would use our trials to open doors to reach the lost. As I was thinking about this principle this week, I was reflecting on a story my dad used to tell. My dad's been with the Lord now for 11 years. But my dad, in 1970, he was a graduate student. He was studying at the uh, Institute of Holy Land Studies in Jerusalem, Israel. He, he was there for two years. And during his time there in Jerusalem, he contracted viral infectious hepatitis. It was one of the worst cases the doctors there at the time said they had ever seen. And if he hadn't gotten into the hospital, they said he would have been dead in two days. It was so severe. He was there in the hospital in Jerusalem for three weeks. While he was there, the patient sharing his room with him, my father dis discovered, was one of the chief rabbis of the Orthodox Hasidic Jewish community there in Jerusalem. Spoke very little English, and, and my dad started praying as he was sitting there in the hospital bed next to this rabbi. He started praying, Lord, open doors. Open doors for me to somehow share, share my faith with this man. And it was very interesting. 
The first week my dad was there, the hospital rooms back in those days didn't have television sets. So one of my dad's roommates from the Institute of Holy Land Studies brought a, a small TV and an antenna that they strung out the window of the hospital, and they were able to watch TV in the evenings there. And television was relatively new at his, in Israel at the time, and so every evening they would have 20, 30 people pack his hospital room, doctors, nurses, other patients. They'd all get together, and they'd watch Flipper and The Flying Nun and Bonanza, and, and they just loved it. It was, it was the nightly routine. Well, my dad had been praying for opportunities to reach this Jewish rabbi. Friday evening came along, the Jewish Sabbath. People started pouring into my dad's room to watch their nightly TV shows. And the Jewish rabbi looked over to my dad and in broken English, he asked him, could we, could we please not watch TV tonight? And my dad, respecting the Sabbath and this man's wishes, said to the other Israelis in the room, Sorry, we're not going to watch TV tonight. We're going to honor the Sabbath. All these Israelis started yelling at the Jewish rabbi, you know, because they had ruined, his, ruined their nightly entertainment. Well, that night, as after, the, after all the commotion died down and the rabbi fell asleep, my dad had had a friend bring him a Jewish uh, Hebrew New Testament. He wrote in the back of the Hebrew New Testament, I, I pray that in this book you will find the fulfillment of all your longings for the Jewish Messiah, your friend Ron Carlson. <laughs> next morning that rabbi woke up and he found this Hebrew New Testament sitting next to his bedside table. He opened it up and looked at it and just turned to my dad and smiled. For the next few days that stayed on his bedside table one day, a group of other Jewish rabbis came into the hospital room and they saw this Hebrew New Testament and they got all agitated. They all got worked up. What, you know, my dad couldn't understand what they were saying, but they were clearly upset. The rabbi started talking to his friends and he pointed over at my dad. And they turned to my dad and they all smiled and went and shook his hand. My dad found out from a Christian leader in Jerusalem later that that was probably the first time that a Hebrew New Testament had been accepted into that Orthodox Jewish community. Praying for opportunities that God would open doors. Friends, understand, God is in the business of turning our trials into his triumphs. And so even in the midst of our trials, we need to be praying that God would use them to open doors for the gospel and for his glory. So here in verses 2 through 4, Paul has shown us that a life of impact begins with prayer. Friends, don't ever neglect the power of prayer. We need to be praying for the lost people in our lives. And we need to be praying that God would open doors to reach them. Paul goes on. I'm going to cover these last two points quickly. Paul says, number two, a life of impact walks wisely. Look at verse 5. Paul says, walk in wisdom toward outsiders, making the best use of the time. Now, friends, I want you to notice something. Paul doesn't divine for us what this looks like, does he? Walk in wisdom towards outsiders. Make the best use of your time. Paul doesn't tell us what this looks like. Why? It's because we've already seen in Paul's letter, he's not a legalist. This isn't about a to-do list, a set of rules about how you go about seeking to live a life of impact. No, what Paul wants us to do is be about the business of living a life of impact, but he understands, as we should understand, that that will look differently for all of us. 
God doesn't give all of us the same calling or the same gifting or the same passion or the same sphere of influence. But he does ask us to walk wisely towards outsiders, making the best use of our time. And that can look different for all of us here in this room. For some of us, he calls us to go and share the gospel in Maui. I mean, it's just, you got to be faithful wherever the Lord leads, (laughs) right? But for other people, people like my friends Karen Selby and Brian Connery, for them, it means going into the local prisons and sharing the hope of Jesus with the inmates. For people like my friend Nick Levine, it means sharing the gospel with a coworker on a road trip when he's out doing, doing his business. For people like Sadie Goodnow and our Hope Ministries team, it, it means blessing and ministering to families involved in foster care and adoption. For, for the woman working at Chick-fil-A who recently ministered to Diane Smith's mom after her husband died, it meant sharing words of hope and encouragement and literally coming around the corner and hugging a stranger and praying for her. For the single mom, it might mean sharing the love of Jesus with your kids and modeling Christ-like love and parenting for the other moms in our community. Friends, living a life of impact can look differently for all of us, but we need to remember, as Paul tells us in 2 Corinthians 5.20, we are all ambassadors for Jesus Christ. Every single one of us has the opportunity to live a life of impact, to make a difference with the gifts God's given us, the callings he's given us, the passions he's given us. How will you seek to fulfill that calling, living a life of impact? Some of you might be thinking, well, where do I even begin, Jason? Where do I even begin? Let me encourage you to begin with this. Start your day with a simple prayer. Start your day with a simple prayer. Pray, Lord, help me to make the best use of my time today for your name's sake. Help me to make the best use of my time today for your name's sake. Start your day with that prayer for the next two weeks, friends. And don't be surprised when your priorities suddenly start looking a lot more like God's priorities. And don't be shocked when God starts opening up doors for you to have a gospel impact in the people's lives that you come into contact with. (laughs) Begin to pray, and God will use you to walk wisely. You'll begin to see him give you opportunities to make the best use of your time for the sake of the gospel. (laughs) Thirdly, Paul tells us in our passage, a life of impact is a life that speaks graciously. In verse 6, Paul says, Let your speech always be gracious, seasoned with salt, so that you may know how you ought to answer each person. In other words, how should I talk to people? This is how you talk to people. Graciously and with words that are seasoned with salt. Gracious words are kind and compassionate words. Words that are seasoned with salt are flavorful and winsome. They they leave people wanting more. The Apostle Peter echoes this instruction in 1 Peter 3.15 where he tells us in your heart set apart Christ as Lord always be prepared to make a defense to anyone who asks you for the reason for the hope that is in you yet do this with gentleness and respect. 
So friends, as we're walking wisely, living as ambassadors of Christ, seeking to make the most use, best use of our time, friends, when God opens those doors for us to minister to people and when we begin to speak words of hope and truth into their lives, we need to do so graciously. We need to do so flavored with salt, winsomely, attractively, leaving them wanting more. We need to do this, speak words with, excuse me, with gentleness and respect. Our words matter. How we share our words matters. I was reminded of this in a powerful way just recently. Earlier this summer, I, I preached a message here at church, and we were talking about God's plan for human sexuality. And I shared an illustration talking about our society's gender confusion. And in one of the services, I made a comment that was a little bit insensitive. Later that week, my friend Tiger McClune, one of our members here, he's preached here a couple times for us, terrific guy, he's one of my friends and mentors. Tiger said, Jason, can we go out for ice cream together this week? I'd like to talk to you. We got together, we went over to Anderson's Ice Cream Shop, and Tiger said, Jason, you know the, the comment you made in your sermon, I want to encourage you to keep something in mind. Remember the person sitting in the back of the room. I said, well, what, what do you mean? He said, Jason, you know, whenever I preach, I always try to remember the person in the back of the room, that person who barely made it to church, that person who had to muster up all the courage they had to even get there, that person who's looking for hope, who's looking for answers, who needs to hear the grace of Jesus. And he reminded me that there is a balance between speaking truth and speaking the truth in love with gracious words seasoned with salt. It was a reminder I needed to hear. It was an important lesson and something that I want to continue to put into practice in my life and ministry. Now, friends, understand God doesn't call all of us to a preaching ministry, but he does call all of us to public ministry. Every single one of you are going to leave here this week and you're going to bump shoulders out in our society with hundreds of people. And each and every one of them provides an opportunity to make an impact for Jesus. And as we think about that possibility, we need to remember that our speech matters and our words matter. And so we need to strive to always be gracious, speaking words that are seasoned with salt. And friends, as we do, we can trust that God's Spirit will work powerfully through our words to draw people to Jesus Christ. This is what a life of impact looks like. It prays steadfastly. It walks wisely. It, it speaks graciously. And when we live this way, clothed in Christ, empowered by the Holy Spirit, friends, God can use each of us in a powerful way to make an impact for Jesus Christ. That's my hope and prayer for our church, friends, that we would be gospel-driven, gospel-motivated people who pray steadfastly, who walk wisely, who speak graciously, and that in doing that, the hundreds of people here this Sunday would have a powerful, transformative impact in our community. Let's pray and ask God to do that for us and through us. And then John and our team are going to lead us in one last song this morning. Heavenly Father, we just thank you for the opportunity to study your word together, to be encouraged by the truths that you've given us.
to be inspired by the instructions the Apostle Paul has given us, Lord, about how we too might live lives of impact. God, I would venture to bet there's not a single person here this morning who who doesn't want to be used in powerful ways by you. And again, that'll look different for each of us. We have different gifts and callings and spheres of influence. But Lord, I just pray that every single one of us here would pray steadfastly, that we would pray that we would make the best use of our time each day. When those opportunities and doors open to us, that we would speak truth and love with words seasoned with salt, gracious, winsome, compassionate, flavorful words, Lord, that leave people wanting to know more about this Jesus that we have a relationship with. Lord, I pray that you would use my brothers and sisters here in a powerful way as we seek to live for you and bring glory to your name by sharing the hope of Jesus. Thank you, Lord. In your name we pray. Amen.